Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, April 12th. We begin with a look at the COVID-19 vaccine rollout through pharmacies. We speak with local pharmacist Amin Kanji to walk us through the process and explain how the extra doses of vaccine are administered at the end of the day. Next, we continue the conversation surrounding the vaccine with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. We speak with Dr. J about the side effects that can be expected after receiving a vaccination. It was a big weekend in federal politics, well, specifically for Liberal or NDP party members. MRU political scientist Lori Williams brings us details of the dueling conventions that took place over the weekend. And finally, hard to believe it's been over 40 years. We talk with Fred Fox, the brother of Canadian icon Terry Fox, on this, the 41st anniversary of the start of the Marathon of Hope. Well, with Albertans now able to get their COVID shot at the pharmacy, what does that actually look like? What do we need to know about booking our shots? With all the details, we're joined this morning by Amin Kanji, who's pharmacist and owner of the Medicine Shop on 37th Street here in Southwest Calgary. Good morning, Amin. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Sue. How are you? I am good. Thank you. Good. Now, we see you often, well, once a year, I guess, sometimes, because you, come, in, you come into the radio station every year and give us our flu shot. But this one is, is different, and it's really important that I think we break down the details as to how we book our COVID vaccine appointment through a pharmacy now. Right. So I think it's really, really important to remember that, uh, you know, uh, Alberta has really sort of a phased approach of... Uh, vaccine bookings. And so what that means is that if you fall into uh, a certain category, which is released by Alberta Health Services, uh, you're eligible to book your shot either through 811 or through a participating pharmacy. So currently we're in phase 2B, uh, which is uh, anyone that's born in 2005 and uh, below uh, with a chronic medical condition uh, can book a shot through 811 or their local participating pharmacy. Uh, and as of today, uh, they've released uh, what's called 2C, which is healthcare professionals. So if you're a frontline worker, you're working in, um, in the hospital or a doctor's office, pharmacy, dentist, chiropractor, uh, you're able to book your vaccine as of today. I mean, let's talk about, you know, something that we've seen on social media, or perhaps we have a friend who uh, gave you a phone call and said, hey, guess what? I got my vaccine. I wasn't expecting it. I just happened to be in the pharmacy. And the pharmacist uh, said, hey, anybody want a shot? It, it, does this happen? And, and how often does it happen? It does. And unfortunately, the, the, the uh, reality is that because the vaccine is so sensitive to uh, temperature uh, stability and changes, that once you open up a vial, once you take it out of the fridge, once you have it in your possession, um, you know, you have to use it within a certain period of time. And that depends on the vaccine that we're talking about. So, for example, with the Pfizer vaccine, once it arrives in the pharmacy, uh, it's only good for five days in the pharmacy. And so typically you have to use that vaccine within five days. If you have people that have booked appointments and let's say they qualify in that specific category, whether it be 2B or 2C, and for whatever reason, they don't show up or they've had a appointment that's, uh, you know, uh, uh, somewhere else and they don't uh, let you know, you have no choice but to use that leftover vaccine uh, to inject anyone that's in the store, anyone that's on my wait list. Uh, because the important thing is we don't want to waste any vaccine. We want to make sure that we get it to every Albertan, um, even though you're not in that same category, whether it be 2B or 2C. You want to make sure that you at least don't waste the vaccine. 
So can it be that I just happen to be walking by and you realize, oh my gosh, we've got to give this last this last bit of vaccine vaccine that's in the in the vial, and I'll just call you over? Or are we on these wait lists with each pharmacy and kind of get a last minute phone call? Hey, can you come in right now? So both. So you can do both. So for example, um, you know, pharmacies will probably have a lot of uh, people on their wait list who they will call who live maybe close by within ten fifteen minutes. I've had a lot of people put their names on my wait list to say, you know what, I'm 10 minutes away, give me a call and I'd be happy to come in and get whatever doses are left for that day. Um, So that's one option. The other option is, you know, pharmacies may choose to, um, you know, invite customers, patients who are in the store that day who are probably not eligible uh, to to fit into those categories. Uh, But the important thing is to make sure that we're not wasting any doses. Um, Just because of the stability of the vaccine, that's the... um, the crucial part is we don't want to waste any doses. It's interesting, uh, Min, because I was having a conversation with a friend who kind of had this ethical uh, question or a moral dilemma. He was saying, you know, I would feel bad if I, I got the phone call. I'm on the list just so I'm uh, in a safer place. I would feel bad if I ended up getting that call and I wasn't in the category. But as a pharmacist, it, you're, it is your goal to make sure that as many people are vaccinated as possible, isn't it? So there shouldn't be a Absolutely. dilemma if you get the call, right? Absolutely. No, absolutely. And you know what? The worst thing, worst case scenario is you're wasting vaccine, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, we don't want to do that either. Uh, so I'd rather call people on my wait list or, you know, give a dose to someone who happens to be in the pharmacy who perhaps doesn't qualify. But the other option would be I'd be throwing the vaccine away, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't want to do. So that's the worst case scenario. But rather give it to someone who perhaps will qualify down the road. But if I have to give it to them today, then so be it. I just don't want to waste any doses at all. Are you okay with us putting our names on a whole bunch of different uh, pharmacy wait lists in hopes of getting a call? Uh, and, you know, that's, that's the part that I think, uh, you know, as, as um, anxious as we are to get vaccinated, uh, I know it's just human tendency to put our names down on multiple lists, and that's, that's something we can't control. Uh, but the good thing is that I think I have about 50 or 60 names that I can call. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully, you know, if, I, if I'm uh, strategic about how I'm booking my appointments, uh, then I probably will only have to call five or six at the most or even less uh, to make sure that I don't uh, waste any vaccine. Wow. So ideally, you want to try and prioritize those individuals that qualify for their vaccine. Uh, and, you know, it's important to also call ahead. It's important to, you know, um, confirm your booking as well, too, to make sure that, uh, you know, you have a spot, you have a time that's available. And, you know, we're recommending please don't show up at pharmacies. Uh, don't walk in because, again, we want to make sure that we're, you know, doing our due diligence with uh, COVID screening, mm-hmm. uh, making sure we're not having too many people crowd around the pharmacy as well. Those are all, uh, you know, safety features as well that, that we have to follow. I mean, just before we let you go, do you, what do you know about the, the supply of vaccine coming to pharmacies? We're hearing some reports that they're going to be scaling back what's delivered or, you know, it could be a case that we get less as a nation and, and they don't filter down to our province. Uh, do you get some kind of a forecast? So we don't, unfortunately. You know, we it's it's week by week. Uh, so every week we find out how many doses we're getting, and that's based on what is being shipped to Canada and what is being sent to the provinces. But unfortunately, that's we don't have a sense of what we're getting next week. We only have a sense of what we're getting this week. Every week, based on supply and demand, uh, as well as what's being shipped to the provinces, we will have a sense of, uh, you know, the vaccine supply as far as how many doses we'll be getting. Uh, and then also keep in mind that, you know, we have now AstraZeneca, we have Moderna, and we have Pfizer. Uh, so each uh, pharmacy uh, will be allocated a certain uh, type of vaccine. 
Uh, so, for example, in my case, I have been allocated Pfizer. So I know I'll be getting Pfizer vaccine as far as how many doses. I wouldn't know until tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow is the day when I'm supposed to get a fax from Alberta Health Services, uh, letting me know how many doses I'll be getting for this week. And then the following week, they will keep me abreast of the number of doses I'll be getting the following week. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for the update, mm-hmm. clearing up a lot of uh, questions and, and, and issues for people. So thanks for your time this morning, Amin. You're welcome. Take you, care. You too. That is Amin Kanji, pharmacist and owner of the Medicine Shop Pharmacy on 37th Street Southwest. 7.20 on Mornings with Sue and Andy. Well, should we anticipate any side effects after receiving a COVID-19 vaccine? We're always told that we may experience some after effects when it comes to the flu vaccine, but is this the same with the coronavirus vaccination? To discuss, we're joined by Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning to you, Dr. J. Good morning. I understand you've gathered some info from the CDC surrounding this topic. Uh, what did you find? So, as expected, it, you can certainly get an allergic reaction from any kind of shot. But the COVID shots seem to be on par with the influenza or seasonal flu shot every year. They're not a lot more deadly or a lot more specific or different. The, the side effect profile looks almost identical. And that typically is fever, being tired, headaches, body aches, chills, nausea. There's a thing we call the COVID arm where people get a little bit more um, like the arm that their injection was uh, given is much more painful, can actually get lymph glands. So it's like swelling in the armpit. Uh, and so that perhaps is unique uh, with the COVID, but everything else is very much the same. So can we be proactive ahead of getting our shots then to try and you know minimize any side effects that might pop up? So, well, there's two parts of that, sure. Like, if you are somebody who generally doesn't get allergic reactions to anything, uh, I don't know that you need to do anything. If you're somebody who is very sensitive to things, say you faint or you you have a, a really dramatic reaction and you tell the people giving you the shot that, you could take uh, Tylenol and Advil. Uh, if you do get more allergic things, taking a Bendril could be done before the shot. Most everything else, though, happens for days after so it's not something that you take just, uh, you know, if you took it mm-hmm. at the time of the shot, that that would prevent something from happening in day one, two, three, four, et cetera. Okay. If somebody gets an anaphylactic reaction, that's like a life-threatening reaction from an injection, and they have a history of this, I would be exceedingly careful. This should be done in a very, very um, uh, specific setting, maybe uh, in, a, in a clinic or hospital setting, et cetera, because this shot can do that the same as if, if somebody's had a history of that in the past. Got about 20 seconds, but for people who are getting their shots, for example, today, if I'm yeah. feeling the effects, for, for how long after should I go back to the doctor or, or make that phone call to, to go in? Yeah, I think if, um, I mean, the, the reactions can happen for quite a while. We're talking a good week or even longer. If somebody's like two weeks out and it's getting worse and worse, mm-hmm. then there's something unusual uh, with that. If there's any concern about something very severe or this seems out of keeping, it may have nothing to do with the vaccine, which is, um, I mean, I, we didn't even talk about the uh, AstraZeneca clot issue, yeah, yeah. which I think is completely overblown. Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably have to have a rare genetic uh, to connect to get a clot. And the risk of clot with birth control pill or with anything with estrogen salt is much, much higher than the vaccine. And that's been proven. Most countries are back on the AstraZeneca giving again because the clot issue appeared to be overblown thank you for clearing that up dr j always yes. appreciate it okay you betcha have a great day that is dr ted jablonski our on-call family physician Six ten. it's mornings with sue and andy and uh, dueling conventions over the weekend as ndp and liberals 
each had their respective conventions. What kind of policies, though, are they looking to attempt voters? Lori Williams, Associate Professor of Policy Studies at Ma Royal University, joins us now with the lowdown. Good morning to you, Lori. Morning, Andy. I guess there's no problem with having, you know, generally you don't have uh, quote-unquote competing conventions, but two different audiences for sure. Uh, tell us about how these broke down. I'm, I'm assuming for the most part virtual. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and, I, and I would say, generally speaking, um, a little bit more sort of focused and professional and organized on the part of the Liberals, a little less organized and a bit more divisive on the part of the, the NDP. Um, but it, it, it was obvious in terms of the policies they were talking about that, that they're competing for some of the same voters. Let's talk a little bit about what they talked about at their conventions. Did, I mean, did either come up with a, a real line, of, uh, a hard line in the sand that they're drawing in terms of what they want to do moving forward? I think the NDP was a bit more specific in terms of detailed policies um, in the leader's speech. Um, and the, the uh, Jagmeet Singh focused on trying to get votes away from the Liberals and saying how the NDP are different than the Liberals. Justin Trudeau focused much more on the liberal vision, uh, who they were concerned with, with representing that overlapped. And, and when they talked about who they were representing, Canadians left behind by the pandemic in particular, um, again, a lot of overlap there. But uh, Justin Trudeau was much more focused on the future of Canada and on the Conservatives in his speech. That said, he's clearly got to be quite concerned about the NDP coming up in the polls, because if they pick up seats, it'll usually be at the expense of the Liberals mm -hmm. and um, take them out of majority territory. So, from your perspective, we know what each party was looking at doing, and, uh, you know, obviously under each tent they have uh, different um, uh, different goals and, and uh, different, uh, you know, I guess you'd say goal posts in mind, what they want to hit with their, with their following. But what do you think that the Liberals have to do, and what do you think that the NDP have to do uh, from an outside-looking-in perspective? Well, the Liberals clearly have to keep connecting with, with Canadians. They're doing a reasonably good job of that in the polls. Um, they're six, seven points ahead on average uh, of the Conservatives, and the Conservatives are, are under 30%. Uh, in fact, only about eight or nine percentage points separate where the, the um, Conservatives are in some polls and where the NDP are. So... I would say that um, the NDP and the the Conservatives in their campaigns had enough controversial um, policy um, proposals that came up that that might make some look more more favorably at the Liberals who, who look to be a bit moderate. But it's quite clear that the Liberals are being quite quite progressive and they're appealing for those NDP votes because that's probably where they need to pick up votes. That's where the richest source of votes is, and those votes are particularly important in Quebec. And currently the NDP only has one seat in Quebec. There's room for them to pick up votes from the Bloc in Quebec. But it looks like mostly where the Liberals are going to be looking is in B.C. They might pick up a few seats in uh, in maybe in Alberta and in Manitoba right now, since both of those premiers are, are relatively unpopular compared with other premiers. And the NDP <clears throat> needs to pull their vote up over... Um, they're sitting at about 18 on average right now. They've got to be in the mid-20s to really make a big dent and pick up seats across the country, and they're likely to do so at the expense primarily of the of the Liberals. So the Liberals are looking to the, to the left and the right to try and pick up seats, and they're looking across the country to pick up seats. It's not going to be easy for them to get a majority, but that's what they're shooting for.
And Lori, you know, obviously, as we sit here in Alberta, very conservative territory, we're not talking about the Conservatives. They didn't have a convention this past weekend. But does it, you know, as we talk about these two parties, the NDP and the Liberals, just does this leave the, the Conservatives further in the dust in terms of what we see across the country? Well, the Conservatives didn't pick up um, anything in uh, in their last convention, and they did, um, because of that resolution on climate change, uh, put themselves in the same kind of vulnerable position that they were in the 20, 2019 election. Um, and, and even in 2015, in both conventions, climate change was a serious problem, and, and it's going to be very difficult for the leader to, to make up for that. Put that together with the fact that Aaron O'Toole doesn't seem to have really made a splash as a leader, and he He's running in a position of a deficit compared to that. Now, a lot can happen. I mean, you look at the at the uh, beginnings of the 2015 campaign, um, or maybe even the 20, 2006 campaign when Stephen Harper became prime minister. This far out from, and of course, we don't know exactly when the election is going to be, but but prior to the election being called, it didn't look like the future prime minister had a chance. And, and yet they became prime minister. So elections really do matter and make a difference. And missteps can, can have significant consequences. So clearly the election, whether it's been called or not, the campaign is unofficially on. Um, the NDP had ads in Hockey Night in Canada last night, and we'll probably see a little bit more of that as time goes on. But for the moment, uh, the primary concern even though an election is in the background, everybody's primary, primary concern, of course, is the pandemic. Laura, you mentioned we don't know when that election will be, but uh, looking into the crystal ball, when is it most advantageous for the Liberals to be, uh, you know, have that date circled on the calendar in a concrete date? It's difficult to know at this stage, but presumably they'll get a little bit of a bump once the pandemic is under control. Perhaps some of the, the provinces, once this is in the rearview mirror, will as well. But um, uh, my guess is that that once things are under control pandemic-wise, uh, it will be something that becomes tempting for um, for the Conservatives, for the NDP, and for the Liberals to go to the polls. So I'm thinking late summer, fall, likely. Interesting. Uh, yeah, definitely we'll be watching for that. Uh, and what will much come out of these two uh, conventions that happened over the weekend? Thank you so much for your time this morning. Appreciate you getting up nice and early to join us, Laurie. Oh, it was my pleasure as always to chat with thank, you. Thank you so much. That's Laurie Williams, Associate Prof, Policy Studies at Mount Royal University. And it just seems like these two conventions really were, you know, just a way to kind of rally the troops. Yeah. Don't you think? As Laurie said, you know, election season is now officially underway with these two conventions. And and maybe this is, you know, just their their big signal moving forward. Yeah, and maybe take the temperature of the party faithful and mm. get some sort of an idea of how many people are buying in. But again, what is this? Uh, when it comes to a federal election year, we just a matter of what time that happens. Uh, this is a first, I would think, uh, having such a virtual, uh, you know, um, convention in such a major year. So maybe they maybe they're thinking that late this summer they can get together in person and kind of do a mini uh, a reset before the actual big date. So I guess we'll wait and see. Should be an interesting year. A twelve, and on this day back in 1980, Terry Fox began his Marathon of Hope. It's an important anniversary and a day to remember Terry and the amazing things still being done in his name through the Terry Fox Foundation. And joining us with an update is Terry's brother, Fred Fox, who's the manager of supporter relations at the foundation. Good morning, Fred. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, uh, Sue and Andy. How are you guys? Excellent. A pleasure to have you on the show once again. Uh, just curious, as you know, before we get into the details of, of what you're up to with the Terry Fox Foundation, but how are you remembering your brother on this day? 
You know, it's it's uh, it's always been a day of reflection. You know, we've had opportunities in the past on, uh, you know, maybe the 10th, 20th, 30th anniversary to be in Newfoundland, be in St. John's and uh, mark the date. We're not able to do that to do that this year, but it's a day of reflection and, and um, you know, remembering why, why Terry wanted to take on this running across Canada to raise money for cancer research and, and where we are today, you know, where we are today because of, uh, Canadians who, uh, you know, met the challenge that Terry gave all of us, and that was to raise funds for cancer research and have such a great impact on research today. Fred, if you can set the scene for us, because I know it's been well documented with the movies, the documentaries, the books. You were part of history. You were there along uh, Terry's side. Did you have any idea of, uh, you know, the impact and, and what would come from the beginning on that day, April 12th, 1980? Give us, give us a, the idea of that morning, for example. What, what did it feel like? Yeah, I mean, no, you know, no, no, none of us. Terry, Terry had no idea. He thought when he arrived, he and Doug arrived in Newfoundland um, a couple of days before April twelfth. Uh, you know, he thought maybe raising one million dollars was going to be an attainable goal. One million dollars is a lot of money today, back then. And um, then when he just before he left Newfoundland uh, in Port of Bath to catch the ferry to, to Sydney, uh, Nova Scotia. You know, the town of Port of Basque raised $10,000. The population was 10, about 10,000 people. And uh, Terry thought to himself, well, why not a dollar for every Canadian? And, uh, you know, that's what his new goal was. Terry journaled every day. Um, every, every night before he fell asleep, starting on April 12th, he would journal and share his thoughts and who he had met, how many miles, how he was feeling that day. And the very first words he wrote in his journal on April 12th were, Today is the day it all begins. Ne- never, ever realizing what those words would mean 41 years later and the impact that $850 million has had uh, to cancer research. That gives me goosebumps, Fred. That it's just it's so amazing to to try and even think back to that very day and yeah, how he didn't realize what would become of his legacy. And it's amazing what the Terry Fox Foundation has done in the years since. Can you kind of give us you know a little bit of an overview of, of what you've accomplished? Well, you know, after uh, you know Terry was forced to stop the Marathon of Hope on September first, night of nineteen eighty, four months after he had left Newfoundland and. Um, he passed away a few months later in June of 1981, and the very first Terry Fox run started happening all across Canada and even around the world on uh, September 13th of 1981. And here we are, 40 years after the very first Terry Fox runs, and uh, so many Canadians, young and older, kids uh, in nine, nine almost 10,000 schools across Canada, learning about Terry, inspired by Terry, raising funds, and you know, we've got different events, whether it's the Terry Fox Run or the Ride of Hope or the Mount Terry Fox uh, Trek. Um, you know, the most important of all of that is the funds that have been raised for cancer research, and that's what Terry wanted. And um, it's changed the, the cancer research in this country. It's impacted the lives of, of so many people, and that's what the foundation does. That's our mandate, our goal, Terry's mandate and goal was to raise funds for cancer research and and to have an impact on on the lives of those who have been diagnosed. Fred, I'm wondering, we're tight for time. Would you mind if we take a quick commercial break and uh, can you join us for two more minutes? You bet. That'd be great. More with Fred Fox on this anniversary, 41 years ago today that Terry Fox began his Marathon of Hope.
820 on Mornings with Sue and Andy and uh, Fred Fox, uh, gracious enough to spend some more time with us. Of course, brother of Terry Fox and manager of supporter relations with the Terry Fox Foundation. Thanks again for sticking around with us here, Fred. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. I want to ask you, uh, last year, and it spills into 2021, uh, the impact of this pandemic on the foundation and the activities, because this isn't just a sign up and, and throw some bucks the way of the foundation. This is a very much a grassroots, you know, a, across the nation, and people love to the fellowship of a Terry Fox run. So I'm wondering what you have planned over the next 12 months, because it's, it's, it's difficult to plan during these times. Yeah, you know, and... Um the, the foundation, Terry Fox Foundation, is so reliant on our great volunteers across the country, the supporters, the donors, the people who participate every year in a Terry Fox run. And you know, a year ago at this time, we were we like we were trying to figure it out, like everybody was when the pandemic hit, and um, we made the right decision and went virtual. And and it was Canadians that stepped up, like just like Terry would. And um, you know, Terry would say when he was forced to stop in Thunder Bay and on September 1st in 1980, Terry said, you know, I just wish people would realize that anything is possible when you try. And uh, believe it or not, 40 years later, we figured out that within Terry's name, the, the name Terry, that the word try is there. Oh. And we asked people last year to try like Terry and do what Terry would do in, in challenging times. And he would try that much harder. And Canadians were so, so persistent and so the resilience of of our terry fox uh supporters was amazing and they stepped up and we we were faced with maybe not raising as much money as we did the year before and our fundraising was down about 26 percent but but we we did amazing the, the supporters the foundation did amazing and uh, this year we're we're doing the same thing we're building on that we're asking people to to, uh, what their biggest try is, what what their biggest try ever is, just like Terry would do uh, in such a challenging time. Fred, there's been much discussion about a, a new $5 bill, and, and if they change the, the face of it, who might appear on that bill? And, and Terry Fox, I know the name has come up, and there are a lot of people believe it should be him. Do they come to you with that mm-hmm. question? Is that something the foundation would back? Yeah, you know, it, it's something that our family uh, works on uh, when it comes to anything to do with Terry and his image and his name. And uh, so we've been in the Bank of Canada has been in touch with uh, our family and um, we're working with them. And um, Terry has been shortlisted, I believe, with uh, five other people and um, great, great uh, candidate for the five dollar bill. Mm-hmm. And we're still, you know, we're, we're working with the Bank of Canada regarding um, some of the stuff they want to do on their website with images of Terry and that. But um, I think they're still in the process of making the decision. The finance minister will be making that decision at one point soon, I believe. And um, so we'll, we'll find out. We're, you know, we're very hopeful, but, um, you know, whoever is chosen will be a, a, a worthy candidate. Well, I think that I'm on board for the Terry Fox yeah. Foundation. Is we got my vote, and I'm here to say right now, Fred, and you can write this down. Uh, come uh, fundraising. How about the Fiverr for Fox? That would be huge, <laughs> and people can donate their five dollar bills. I, I love it. I'd write that down, and I, I don't need any credit. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of a, a note in the book somewhere in the. Future. Thank you so okay. much for your time, Fred. We appreciate it. Well, thank you, you guys, for uh, you know letting me talk about a little bit about Terry and and the great supporters that we have across Canada. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. That is Fred Fox, a brother of Terry Fox, the manager of supporter relations with the Terry Fox Foundation on this, the 45th, 41st anniversary of Terry kicking off the Marathon of Hope. TerryFox.org.